let's love him. Lift our arms and appreciate him. Appreciate you tonight. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Father, we love you. We appreciate you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Appreciate you tonight, Jesus. Hallelujah. Appreciate you tonight, God. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You may be seated. There is a gospel saying at my brother's church in New Haven, Illinois. It's about 60 miles from here. I've checked it out. And I've got some directions, but uh, you can look in the map perhaps and, uh, and uh, take your own directions. But it looked like the best way from here is to take I-64 toward Louisville to Route 45, which is the Mill Show's exit. And then make that exit and go south until you come to Route 1 just right out of North City. And you'll continue south on Route 1 for just a few miles till you come to the intersection of Route 141. Take that, that route east toward Evansville for about approximately 9 or 10 miles, and there'll be what they call a New Haven turnoff. You just take that turnoff, and it'll lead you into New Haven. Now, as you take that turnoff, why, the road will curve after you take the turnoff from the highway. The road will curve as it goes into New Haven. Now, after you make that curve, you go approximately four blocks. I, I'm trying to visualize it in my mind, but I think it's about four blocks as you're counting the blocks from the left or the streets from the left. And it's approximately four blocks. And you, anyway, you go and you turn left and go one block, and the church is on the corner right on the right. So if you miss it a block or two, just if you go too far, just come back or whatever. But anybody there can tell you where the first apostolic church in New Haven is. It's approximately 60 miles from Mount Vernon and uh, some pretty good roads. So if you can at all, go because they have supported us in almost every event that we've had, been here and sang and enjoyed the blessings of the Lord with us. But you can check on your map. Maybe you'd rather go another direction. There's about two or three you can go. But this looked the simplest uh, to me. And, of course, I always try to do the simple things because I can't do anything too complex. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So the rest of you, if, you, if you can get into the deep things, well, you might want to try something different. Isn't the Lord good tonight? Bible study night, St. John, the 16th chapter. I want to read the first six verses. First six verses. Jesus had just got through telling his disciples on numerous occasions in the first chapter or the next uh, chapter or so before this one concerning the Comforter. 26th verse, he says, When the Comfort is come, whom I'll send from my Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, beginning in the 16th chapter, first verse, these things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh, 
that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, Whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hast filled your heart. I want to read the last two verses, fifth and sixth verse again, because it's from there we're going to try to get our thought tonight that I feel is very pertinent. Almost every song and every testimony has led this direction, so we know that God is trying to speak to us tonight. Jesus saying, But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, Whether goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hast filled your heart. Now tonight I would like to speak to you about what I feel is a very important subject for us as individuals as well as a congregation. I would title this Bible study, I believe it would be Looking Past or Beyond Sorrow. Looking Past or Beyond Sorrow. Sorrow is in the world. Jesus never attempted to tell us that it would not be here. For as long as we are in this flesh and in this world and the prince, apologies of hell, our rulers, so to speak, sorrow will be there. But he says... You were so sorrowful, I'll paraphrase this. You were so sorrowful and had so much sorrow in your heart that you haven't even asked me where I'm going. In other words, he's trying to say, had you not been so sorrowful over my telling you that I was going away, perhaps you could understand more clearly my reasoning. Now that word sorrow comes from the Greek word lapu which simply means grief, distress, disappointment, discouragement, or pain. It could be any or all of those things. So Jesus was saying you were so grief-stricken, or you were so much in distress, or you were so disappointed, or there's so much pain, or you were so discouraged because things didn't happen in your life and I didn't take my throne immediately and you didn't understand all the things that was happening you were discouraged and distressed and because of this you didn't ask a question that is very important and as I looked at that I thought perhaps today we might be able to identify with that because oft times when sorrow disappointment our discouragement comes. It seems like our eyes are blinded. Our ears are not open to what God wants to tell us. And because of that, we miss many, many wonderful things that God is trying to speak to us. Now, Jesus was discussing with his disciples his soon departure. He had tried to tell them often, but they hadn't listened. And their heart was so filled with sorrow that they didn't ask, whether goest thou, and had there been able to look past their sorrow or beyond their sorrow, Jesus could have revealed his complete program to them. But instead he had to say in the twelfth verse, I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. I realize in the extent he was telling them that they would need the power of the Holy Ghost. But I would like to not look hardly that far and try some way to reconcile this to your day and mine and make us realize that Jesus was saying that if you could have believed me more, if you could have trusted me more, there wouldn't have been as much sorrow, pain, grief, distress, disappointment, and discouragement, and I could have reached your heart with words that now you're going to miss because you can't hear what I'm going to say. I stood back as I read that and the Spirit began to speak to me concerning that. I reminisced over my own life for many years. 
I began to see many things that God had tried to tell me as he organized my life, as he placed designs on my life, and he led me through many discouraging times. He led me through a lot of heartache. He led me through a lot of distress and a lot of grief. And a lot of disappointment was there, and I underwent that in a manner or a way that I would not have had to underwent it had I not let sorrow creep into my life and therefore blind my eyes and stop my ears to what Jesus was trying to tell me why I was undergoing these things. You see, there's nothing happens, and I'm a firm believer in this, there's nothing happens in a Christian's life if he is dedicated to God, but what God has designs on this. There's not a path we walk, but what God is ready to walk with us, and he has allowed that path to be open to us, to lead us down there for some reason, either our benefit or the benefit of someone else. And oftentimes, could we clear the sorrow, clear the clutter of grief, and the clutter of fear and disappointment, from there, the Heavenly Father then would speak gently to us and tell us why the path had to be. And if he didn't wish to divulge that, then he would just simply say, as he did Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. There's a lesson in this, I believe, because God, in our adverse times and situations, tries to speak to us. I know he has me. I know he still does. I know that I'm no different from the majority of us. And in these trying times, God tries to talk to us. God tries to reach inside of us. God tries to comfort us by saying, it's all right. I'm with you. As the psalmist said, my rod and thy, my staff, they're going to comfort you. It's all right. Nestle into my bosom. Let me press you close. Let me dry the tears from your eyes. Because what you are undergoing is going to make a better man, woman, boy, or girl out of you. And a sturdier saint than you ever recognized you ever could be. Have you ever realized, God, why did it happen? There's been disappointments, and I won't go into the uh, numerous types of disappointments. But you ask, why did it happen? After I've blubbered around a while, after I've get bent to the human emotions, after I was the Apostle Paul, so to speak, kicked against the pricks and against God's way, finally I settled in and said, God, I can't do anything else about it. And sorrow then began to vanish away. And Jesus began to come in and talk to my life and tell me these things. And it become easier to be able to bear up under the blood and under the load in which this world had afforded us. He said, I've got a lot of things to tell you, but sorrows fill your heart so much that I can speak to you and you wouldn't hear me. Now, we've had occasions time and time again to be able to insert words that would help people, but sorrow. I'm not getting down on this. I'm just saying Jesus pointed this out to us uh, some 2,000 years ago that it was a possibility and a probability that we as humanity would allow sorrow to creep in and allowing that to do it, we would become so depressed and so despondent and so discouraged that he couldn't tell us what was on the other side for us. Hallelujah. And you know, most of us would like to know what's on the other side. And most of the time, Jesus would tell us if we would listen. I'm going to be quoting from several scriptures, and I'd just like for you to mark them down to expedite time. Uh, I'd like for you to write them down and see that I have uh, read them right or uh, more or less interpreted them correctly. There was in St. Luke, the 18th chapter, along about the 23rd verse, Jesus had a young man approach him and ask him what he could do to inherit eternal life. And of course, we'll not go into what was said. Jesus said, keep the commandments and all of that. And the young man said, these I have kept from my youth up. And Jesus said, yet one thing lackest thou. And uh, then he went on to tell him what it was. As he said, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Now that was quite a challenge. And that young man, the scripture records that when he heard this, 
he was sorrowful, for he was a very rich man. Now, as I read that, I began to extract something there that perhaps would benefit us. If this young man could have looked past his sorrow, past his disappointment, past his discouragement, he could have seen what is gained in this world vanishes away, and only what has done for God is eternal and everlasting. He could have known the scripture, as it says, lay not up treasures in this world, but in the world to come. But he was sorrowful. Now then, we look at that young man oft times, and as we look on him, we want to get on his case. We wonder why this boy would not be willing to give away what he had. Well, it's very simple. Suppose you and I were in his shoes. Suppose we approached the master and said, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told a young man, Well, you know the commandments, and that was under the law. And he said, You know the commandments. And uh, the young man said, But I have kept them from my youth up. And then to have Jesus point his finger in his face, so to speak, and said, in spite of that, you lack one thing. Now then, suppose we presented all of our goodies, all of our obediences to the commands of God, everything that we have kept, the plan of salvation has been ours. We have worked, we have toiled, we have sweated in the vineyard of God, and we ask God, Master, is this enough to inherit eternal life? And he points his finger at us and said, I don't believe it is, because I've got to have everything that you've got. And can you imagine the distress and the disappointment in Jesus and the sorrow that fills his heart insomuch that Jesus never said one more word to him? Now, I looked at that and I wondered, why didn't you follow up? How come it ended abruptly? That says, and the young man went away sorrowful, for he was very rich. And it ended there. There's nothing else said. Jesus said nothing else. He could have called him back. He could have sought him out, but he didn't. And the question loomed forth in my mind, why did he not? knowing his love, and it's very simple. Jesus was aware that this man in his sorrowing condition would not hear a thing he had to say. And so this man left without the words of the master ringing in his heart that if you'll just lay up treasures above, that's all that's going to last. Whatever we do here, however wise, however intellectual, However, however we might use these hands or these feet, what kingdoms we might build and what houses we might occupy or what riches we might accumulate are all the good things that we might receive from society. Brother or sister, one of these days is going to be gone. And only what we put in the bank of Almighty God is going to be able to last and stand there in the judgment bar of God and we meet them there. And sometimes I look at my life and Jesus has demanded from me everything. I mean, he didn't tell me that I could keep anything. All my desires had to go. All of my plans had to be pushed aside. I had plans, still make my plans once in a while. And somehow as I reminisce, I could not some way convince myself that I'm the only one that God demands our whole life given to Him. And I believe He demands it from every born-again child of God. And as I reminisced on my life, I saw the times that I underwent sorrow when if I could have just stopped long enough to believe Jesus and let him move this distress from my life, he could have said some things to me that would have helped me endure the cross. 
and help me carry the load that I had to carry and help me shoulder the burden that was mine and help me bear the grief and the distress that was upon my life. But instead, he could not reach me because sorrow crowded in and I could not some way and I, I do now more than ever before. I, I do now uh, more than I ever have in my life. And that's look beyond the sorrow. Look beyond the distress. Look beyond the disappointment. Look past down. Because then it never gets so dark. What there isn't sunlight on the other side. And a rainbow that we can look at. And what God puts us through. He is well able to bring us out on the other side. Victorious. Hallelujah. But it's so much simpler if he can reach inside of us and we can sit still long enough and look past this and let him explain these situations to us. That young man went away sorrowful. If he could have seen, if sorrow would have vanished away, if he had not put stock in the treasures that he had, had moved sorrow from his life, Jesus Christ to come and hew him down and nothing that he's done in this life and all the riches he's ever accumulated will just be left for someone else to argue and fuss about and become enemies over. If he could have looked beyond the sorrow that clouded his mind, perhaps he could have heard the voice of the master. I'm sure Jesus didn't want to end that conversation there. I'm sure Jesus had full intentions should that young man have stayed there. He could have painted him such a glorious picture of what giving all that he had to God, he could have painted him such a glorious picture of what the results would have been that there would have been no sorrow in the young man's heart. But he didn't wait long enough for that. He turned his back and left. He ended the conversation. Jesus wanted to say more to him. And although maybe not in this same predicament, how many times have we, Jesus saying something to us that seemed more than we could possibly give him, turn our back on him and are sorrowful because he's demanding so much and turn our back from him and walk away and he isn't through with the conversation. He would like to reveal to us what the other side is going to be like. What the results is going to be after we've underwent these things. This young man went away very, very sorrowful. And there's a very, very pathetic scripture. Everybody knows about it. St. John, the 11th chapter, where the friend of Jesus, Lazarus, died. They sent him word, Jesus' word, that he was sick. Jesus stayed in the same place until Lazarus died, and then he left and went. I must have tore the heart out of Mary and Martha because those sisters whom Jesus loved, intimate friends of the Master, those sisters, when they heard that he was coming, Martha rose to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Mary was always seemingly closer to Jesus. Had there something inside of her, sorrow was there. And she couldn't understand her master. She was disrupt. But Mary stayed in the house and Martha went to meet him and said these words that Mary later said, If thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And can you imagine the sorrow and the grief and the despair that that, that was in these ladies' lives and the confusion was there because they'd watched the Master perform his miracles and thought he did it for strangers and he couldn't come on his journey and do it for us. Now if these two ladies who were intimate friends of Jesus could have looked beyond their sorrow just for a brief moment they would have known that the resurrection was not in the future, but that it was standing right beside them right then. 
You see, I've said often resurrection is not necessarily a day. It's a being, and that being is Jesus of Nazareth. If they can recognize that. A lot of sorrow that they underwent could have been eliminated. Jesus eventually did go to the tomb and raise Lazarus. But can you imagine the torment and the confusion and the hurt of those three or four days while they were struggling and no faith was there? Can you imagine and instead of grasping the words of the Master and the deeds of the Master and realize that if Lazarus died, he was well able to raise him up again if this would be his will. Can you imagine the three or four days of anxiety, hurt and disgust, disappointment and discouragement that they underwent that they would not have had to underwent had they looked past their sorrow? I cannot help but feel like I'm dealing not only with somebody that has underwent occasions like this, but perhaps somebody that is now, but I'm more impressed with the fact that it's somebody that is going to undergo some things they don't understand. They're going to walk a path that they don't know why that they're there. And it's important that we don't let sorrow drown us. It's important that we don't let discouragement get a hold of us so that the Lord can speak to us from His Word and from heaven and tell us what's on the other side for us. Because oftentimes we as saints drown ourselves in our sorrows. We ought not, but we do. Oftentimes we let get, get, get to swimming in our own uh, confusion and our anxieties and fear brings us so far from God that He can't expound the situation to us. He can't tell us what He's got in His mind. He can't comfort us because we won't be comforted. Looking beyond sorrow. And couldn't realize when they went, said, Lord, if you had been here, Jesus says, Thy brother shall rise again. Words like that, but it had some way it didn't hit. Some way it didn't lodge. As they said, oh, I know there's a day of resurrection. I'm fully aware of that. That's some way. And you notice, Jesus didn't press the situation any farther. He couldn't get any farther than that to them. And their anxiety, disappointments still worked against them. And Jesus finally said, Take me where he's at. And of course, sorrowful and grieving still yet, he was led to the tomb where Lazarus lay. Ah, oh, here come a grieving. You know, they had professional mourners then. I mean, they really knew how to turn on the tears and really knew how to mourn. We have a few professional mourners in this day and age. You ever notice sometimes when you go to a funeral home, you see almost the same ones over and over, and they don't know this individual from Adam. I mean, they're just sitting there. I call something inside of them. I, I don't know whether they get their jollies from that or not. But they were professional mourners, and they were mourning and crying. And Mary and Martha was mourning and crying. You see, that hurt, that anxiety, that discouragement was still there. Jesus couldn't get any farther with them at all, so he just didn't bother. And he stood there and he said, Roll the stone away. And you know the answer, Oh, no, Lord. He's been in there for four days and he stinks now. And the Bible says Jesus wept. How this was as to his humanity. And I'm sure he wept because humanity is humanity. And I'm sure he was as much human as he was God. And I'm sure he wept out of sorrow. And I think more than anything else, he wept out of the disappointment he had in the very core of his soul because these people who were his intimate friends didn't believe him and didn't trust him. And they rolled his stone away. And Jesus proved immediately that resurrection was not a day. That resurrection was him. You know what he said? I 
am the resurrection and I am the life. Hallelujah. He was then. He will be and he still is the resurrection and the life. He can resurrect my distraught soul and he can cleanse me and he can purchase me from the powers of hell and from the grave. But I sat and tried to some way imagine the sorrow that they underwent and I thought, God, how useless. How senseless. When all the time God was there, His Word was there ringing in their ear. And I thought, well, we could put the blame on those two ladies. Very easily, but many of us have walked down the same path. I mean, Jesus has told us so many things and how He would do and how He was always with us. You know his scripture? And he says, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you and be with you always, even until the end of the world. And then you notice sometimes when calamity strikes, what do we first say? Lord, where are you? Amen. Lord, where are you at? And what's the matter with his word? If his word says he's with us always and he's still there, regardless of what's going on in our life, he hasn't moved an inch. Oh, thank God he's still there. He's still able. You remember after Jesus was crucified, there were certain disciples after he'd rose again called the Emmaus Disciples, the stories found in the 24th chapter of St. Luke. And these individuals was walking away from Jerusalem, walking away from the sunrise into the sunset. And Jesus joined himself to them and more or less asked them what they were talking about. And they brought him up to date on what was happening. And their words was this, But we trusted, past tense in other words, we trusted then that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides, all this today is the third day since these things were done. Disappointed, sorrowful. But had they been able to look beyond this sorrow and beyond this disappointment, they would have believed Mary Magdalene and the other women's report that he was alive. They reported to them that he was alive, that the Bible says, but instead their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed him not. I like to get on their case once in a while. I like to say, I don't know why you can't believe Jesus. I have occasions in my own life, and you have them in yours, and the word of God is true and intact, and God wants us to get a hold of it. God wants us to believe it, and some way or somehow, we just said, well, I trusted him. And we should say, I still trust him in spite of the positions I'm in. We could get on their case, wonder why they seem like idle tales, and I've got to be truthful with you, and you need to be with me. Sometimes when I try to get into this Bible, sometimes what the Master says seems to me like it's idle tales. I mean, I've really got to get a hold of some faith to believe what he's got to say. In his life and in, in your life and in mine, it's all the same. A very good thing we need to look at is found in the 22nd chapter of St. Luke. The Bible says, And when he rose from his prayer, he was come to his disciples, and he found them sleeping for sorrow. The sad hours, if you look at it, of the Last Supper, the sure consciousness of the coming sorrow, Jesus had told them all about it. All the events of the long evening worked on them in so much that it made them predisposed to sleep. In other words, sorrow makes you sleepy. Sorrow makes you drowsy. Discouragement takes the life out of you. Discouragement takes hope from you. And sometimes I've seen vibrant lives physically and spiritually drain slowly away because of despondency and discouragement and hurt and despair. And I've seen a sleep spiritually as well as naturally. But if 
if they could have looked past their sorrow in those days and could have called a pass and command their master's solemn warning, watch and pray, maybe they could have supplied their Lord the thing that the angels supplied him. You know, I, I'm a, I don't know, I look at the Bible and read it, and as I've said often, I try to get myself where it's happening because it seems more of a reality. I like to try to read between the lines, and don't you say I said this with Scripture. That somewhere or somehow I think Jesus took those disciples there with him because he thought they could supply him something. You say, well, he needs nothing. Yes, he does. He needs you and I. He needs to hear our praises. He needs some time the touch of our hand. He needs to hear the sound of our voice as we honor him. And he needed it then. Because he was going to face something. And as humanity, it was going to be hard for him to face. And the Bible says in verse 43, And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven and strengthened him. I looked at that and I thought, what an opportunity for those three that he called aside to do something for their master. What an opportunity for them to stay awake and for them to pray. And as they prayed, give strength to that man that was about ready to surrender his entire being. But in spite of his plea to them that says, watch and pray just one hour he comes back and finds them asleep in other words in spite of his asking for sympathy in spite of his asking for prayer just a hand touch just a hand touch did you know sometimes words is never heard by a person that's sorrowful or discouraged sometimes just a hand grip and a look in a person's eye will tell you more than words can ever say. Or just a hand on the shoulder or a pat on the back. And this really says, I love you. And I'm with you. I believe in you. And Jesus left them there. All he was asking, I think, was just stay awake with me. Just pray with me. Anything to show their support. Well, they slept on. Sorrow had filled their life. And when sorrow comes in our life, and you mark this, if we let it take its place, sorrow makes us selfish. Sorrow moves us from all the mainstreams of humanity and places us within ourselves. And God, we don't need to be there. I said, my God, we don't need to be there. We need one another worse than we ever needed one one another in our entire lives. But sorrow pulls us out I'll say again from the mainstream of humanity and wraps us up in ourselves and so much that words, actions from man or from God can't reach our soul. But Jesus had to have some strength. He couldn't get it from man. So the great omnipresence of gods and angels down to give him strength. Hallelujah. Jesus told him to sleep on. In other words, there's a lesson there for us. Man had failed him. Man didn't live up to his expectations. But that was no excuse for our master to chuck the whole thing and say, I can't do it. He turned around and said, you just go ahead and sleep. My hour's come. And he knelt down and said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. And he says, won't you watch with me? And as always, Jesus, you say, how? How can I do this? Jesus, as always, if we look for it, being our example shows us how to look past or beyond our sorrows. How did we do it? Like he did. 
man failed him, his closest. How many of us have had that which was closest to his faith? And I know people that have put their trust a lot of times in a pastor, in a minister, it's failed. It hurts. And a lot of people have just simply said, no more. I won't do it. And they're home now, backslid. But Jesus is our example. Man failed him. Even after being close and intimate friends and calling these three out and setting them there, took them a little farther than the rest of them and said, stay here just a little while with me and, and wait and pray and watch with me just for an hour. Came back and they were asleep. But Jesus didn't chuck the whole thing. He didn't, he didn't say, well, I asked them and they wouldn't do it, so I'm not going to finish my part. You imagine where humanity would be today if he would have thrown up his hands because somebody let him down and let Saul rule his life and draw up within himself and say, let humanity be hanged and go to hell. I'll just save myself. But instead he found him a Gethsemane and he stayed there until he finally said, Father, it's not my will that thy will be done. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it in spite of everybody else. I've got my values and what you sent me here for. And the failure of man is not going to deter me from doing what Almighty God has sent me here to do. We're living in a day and age when we need to drastically get a hold of the hand of God and say, I know what you've called me to do, and by the grace of God, I'll do it. What's the answer? Find our Gethsemane and stay there until we can look up. Say, Father, I'm dead to my will. I'm dead to my will now. What's yours then and only then? And we look past the sorrow and past the disappointments and past the trials and the troubles and see the dawning of a new day. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6.10 has he found this truth when he wrote, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, I looked at that and I thought that's contradiction if I ever heard one. Sorrowful, he says, and yet always rejoicing. How does he do that? Well, he tells us, looking past and beyond the sorrow and seeing God's beautiful design for his life. He says in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are cast down, but we are not dismayed. In other words, there rose within him a holy boldness through the power of the Holy Spirit of God that says, I will fulfill that which God has set me forth to do. Troubled on every side, he says, but I'm not distressed. Oh, God, I like that, Paul. We're perplexed. But we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're cast down, but we are not dismayed. I want to turn as we try to close to Romans, the 8th chapter. And I think about the 18th verse where the Apostle Paul writes something that I like. Where he says, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. In other words, that position allowed the Apostle Paul to undergo the dungeons and allowed the Apostle Paul to stay strong in whatever state he was in. It allowed him to call for his scribe when he couldn't get in a church or couldn't minister. He didn't stop the pen in his hand as he wrote to these churches and told him to take courage. In other words, it was this 
little bit as he said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And he goes on to say, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption unto the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain until now. And not only they, but we ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Why do we do that? How we're doing it, we're waiting for the adoption to wit, which is the redemption of the body. You see, the Apostle Paul was very fully aware that should he make his place in the grave, no power of hell was strong enough to keep him there. And the voice of God spoke, and all the dead rose from the grave. He knew he would be there. This creature would be delivered from the bondage of corruption that was his and take on incorruption and immortality. Her death in hell has no more power for it whatsoever. And friend, this itself is one of the greatest things that life can afford in your day and mine. It's the hope of an eternity that God has left us. And some way if we can get ourselves past the sorrows of this day and realize there's something greater than the great design of Almighty God. Whoo, hallelujah. I don't know if you feel anything or not, but I could almost dance and shout. Because I feel something inside that makes me to know that God lives. Worshiping while I get it doing it, will you? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Then that old, old familiar scripture been one of the mainstays, one of the tenets of faith ever since I can remember as Jesus moves upon the Apostle Paul, he writes to the church at Corinth, saints were dying, many of them were taken to the slaughterhouse by the powers of Rome. There was a sorrow there, disappointments there, discouragement. You see, every generation has looked for Jesus just like we do. Every generation has looked for his return since he's went away. And these people were no different. They looked for him to come. He wasn't coming. There had been no deliverance as far as a natural eye could see. They were dying like flies under the hand of the tyrants of that day. And the Apostle Paul brings them to a reality. As he said, I wouldn't have you ignorant, brethren, concerning those that are asleep or those that die. You see, he never could bring himself to use death in terms of Christians. He always used sleep. Hallelujah. You see, death means extinction, gone. No more hope. But sleeping simply means you go to sleep at night and you wake up in the morning. Hallelujah. And I don't care if they've been dead for centuries. <laughs> I don't care. To them, it'll be just like the snap of your finger. Go to bed sometime and uh, you, you spend eight hours there and most of the time you feel like it's just been just a few moments. That's what sleep of a Christian is. And he said, I, I, I'm, I, I want you to know that you shouldn't sorrow as others that have no hope. We need to look past our sorrow, put our belief to work. And reading in verses 14 to 18, 1 Thessalonians, you know it, but I'm going to read it to you. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. 
For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall not prevent. Correct translation is that, of that is proceed. We'll not proceed them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And he says, get out of that sorrow, get out of that despair, and comfort one another with these words. Hallelujah. Looking beyond sorrow will eliminate a lot of confusion, eliminate a lot of pain, eliminate a lot of excess grief. Now, somebody says, yeah, but we're human. Sure we are. And the Apostle Paul knew that when he wrote in Romans, that you sorrow not even as others should have no hope. There's a certain amount, part of humanity, that's going to express sorrow. We wouldn't be human if we didn't. But he said, now, that's different than that sorrow of excess for those that don't have any hope. Carry a loved one to the grave. Never been born again or redeemed. And friend, what a sorrow was there. There's no promise of tomorrow. No way that you'll ever know you'll see him again. That's excessive sorrow. That's sorrow of those that have no hope. But aren't you glad one day that you bathed in the glorious sunlight of the beauty of Christ? And you came to an altar and felt the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ just wash over you as he washed all the filth and the dirtiness and all this out away from you. And then that glorious day when he no longer just, just ceased to not just be around you, just 